So next on the Shadowboard podcast, we have Diane Richardson, who is a director of Beck BC, but also has various other roles and various other hats that she wears. So first of all, welcome, Diane. Thank you for having me. We'd first like to go through your current hat. Your most recent appointment is at KBR. Talk to us about how that came about and what you get up to at KBR. Yeah, so KBR are a big American company, Kellogg's Brown Root. Um, I'm going to be absolutely honest, I had never heard of them until they got um, some work in the local area. But they do some really amazing things. So they work in space, they work in war zones, um, they now work in West Cumbria. So they do some really exciting stuff and um, it was really around the particular job, um, which is social impact lead. Um, and for me with my background I've, I've had a very varied career that has kind of prepared me really well for when social value and social impact started coming through following the social value act um so if you look back at my career i've covered everything from education to being self-employed um, supply chain interaction and we can talk a bit more about all of that later on but all of those elements come into social impact um so when I saw the job advertised, um, I was approached uh, by a recruiter who said, we think you'd be fantastic for this role. Um, and I looked at it and thought, yeah, that, that's the kind of challenge I'd like to take on. 20 years of trying to make a difference in our local area um, because we do have these pockets of economic deprivation that never seem to move. So um, so that was my, that's my new role, and I'm working with a fantastic team there, really diverse in all sorts of ways, thought diversity, experience diversity, that will hopefully help us to meet those challenges. Yeah, I would certainly say it's a great role for you. Um, you are sort of Mrs. Social Impact, and you definitely will, will be known for that and have been, uh, have been a great advocate for social impact in the area across, as you say, at, at least 20 years. Yeah, um, and I think one of the things with me is I do tend to wear a lot of hats all at the same time. So, as you say, my full-time uh, paid job is with KBR as social impact lead. Um, I'm also a director of the cluster, which is a role that I really enjoy trying to provide value to businesses that um, have interests in the local area, trying to make sure that they have what they need to thrive and provide the jobs and opportunities that the local area needs. When did you choose to first get involved with the cluster then? So it's really interesting actually because um, at first I, I didn't want to come onto the board. I actually approached and said, um, can I come onto the management team? So I came onto the management team originally and I think me doing that almost made us look as a cluster at what was the purpose of the management team and what was it there for. Um, and that led to a little bit of reorganisation that led to some roles in the cluster, some director roles, having specific um, roles attached to them. Mm. Mine's one of them, so I'm about membership engagement. Yep. So it's all about making sure that members get value for money for their membership fee. Um, and the feedback I get is that they get a lot of value out of it, which is great. Um, and then as of last year, you were appointed a director of the cluster. 2019, was it the AGM? Yeah, at the AGM. And I'll tell you what, your stomach's churning. I mean, you're sitting there while people are voting. Um, and I was up against some very strong candidates mm. for the role as well. So you're waiting for that announcement and it's surprising how nervous you are. So I was really, really pleased actually to um, to get on the board. And I love working with the team. 
again, I'm with a team that is incredibly diverse and we challenge each other, but we challenge each other really well. So um, I love what the cluster can deliver. I really believe that for supply chain, clusters are an important thing um, to help us build that resilient supply chain. Yeah, clusters seem to become more and more important across the UK. And as we've seen, there's this whole cluster of clusters almost appearing. And through the work that was that the cluster did at Global Reach, there was this MOU sign, wasn't there, between the different regions and the different clusters. So that, that sort of clustering and collaboration is really seeming to be taking off sort of over the last few years and especially going forward, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And when, and when you have Japan approaching us and saying, you know, we want to look at how we use clusters within our supply chain, can we come and talk to you? Um, I think what the cluster does is it gives uh, businesses that are active in this local area a voice in rooms where they wouldn't otherwise have a voice. So um, our chair, Ivan, is often representing the cluster in places where you'd never get a, a company that's based in West Cumbria able to have a voice in that room. Um, and we've heard this morning from Mike Starkey about Cumbria having a stronger voice. We heard um, a couple of months ago from Paul Foster as he was leaving Sellafield about um, Cumbria needed to have a stronger voice. So there is a theme there and I think the cluster is an essential part of that. So moving on to yourself then, bit Dan, where did things all start for you? Um, you are a local to the area. Where did, where did life begin for you? I am. So um, I'm a Maris, Myris lass. I was born on uh, Myris, which is an estate in Whitehaven. Um, and I had grandparents on both sides of the estate because it is a, a split estate. It has yep. a railway line right the down. The famous the, split, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> railway line down, right down the middle of there. Um, and But I grew up mainly on uh, Richmond in Whitehaven, so I've spent my entire life based in Whitehaven. I've never moved away from there. Raised my family there. Um, now have eight grandchildren with a ninth one on the way. Wow. So, and they're all still local. So we are very embedded in the local community. Um, and I love the area. I can't imagine, even if I won the lottery, I can't imagine why I would want to move away because there's a quality of life here and a community that will just back you up. You know, yeah. if, if you fall down, they will they will give you that hand up that you need. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of places have lost that sense of community that we've mm-hmm. somehow held on to. Mm-hmm. Well, that's nice to hear, certainly. Um, so when you were obviously sort of brought up in the area, did you ever move away for further education or were you trained locally or, or what did you get up to? I had quite an interesting um, education experience, I suppose. So... Um, I did. I went to White M Grammar, as it was at the time. I did my um, O-levels, which gives away my age. <laughs> went into A-levels with plans to go to university, and my dad became ill at the time. Um, and I think the pressure of that and some other things that were going on, and I actually failed my A-levels, which meant I couldn't go to university. So I had to go straight out onto the jobs market. Um, and I went to work at a bank and then into the civil service for a period of time. And what was great with the civil service was it had family-friendly policies before a lot of other companies did. And I was raising my family at that point, so that was really good. But the interesting thing was I thought that degree, I thought that was gone. I thought that chance of doing a degree was completely gone and and I'd lost it. I thought you had to go to university at the age of 18, 19, and it was the only way of doing a degree. And it wasn't until I went to work at Lakes College when I was approaching 40 that I realised that you could do a part-time degree and attend a course at the college and then top it up online 
Um, so I actually went to Lakes College and did um, a HNC. Then I did um, a CMI, a Chartered Management Institute um, qualification to top that up. And then I studied online with UCLan. So while I was working, I was doing all this studying around it. Luckily, my children were uh, kind of, the youngest was teenagers at that point. So they didn't need as much um, time, I suppose. Yes, weren't um, quite as annoying then, but <laughs> at that sort of age, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably what I was trying to say, actually. Um, but yeah, I did my degree. So I actually got my degree. It took me four years. So I got that when I was 44. And I'm incredibly proud. My family went through quite a difficult time at the time, and I was working full time. Um, and I'm really proud that I managed to get a first class honours in Amazing. that. Um, and you, it is just, you've just got to keep your head down and, and fight on through it. But then I went back and I did a master's in corporate social responsibility, again online, did that with Robert Gordon University. So, and I'm, I said at the time, right, that's it, I don't, I don't need to do any more kind of education. And I'm here now and I'm kind of thinking, maybe something short term, because actually it's a bit like going to the gym for your brain, isn't it? Yeah, you sort of never stop learning and always try and just take on more and become a kind of better, more more rounded person, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a big advocate of lifelong learning. We shouldn't think we leave school or we leave university and that's it, because we don't. We learn in all sorts of different ways. So as well as that then, Diane, you've got other hats that you wear. Do you care, would you care to talk about those a bit further as well? Yeah, so um, I'm actually on the board of the Copeland Community Fund, which is um, a local funder in Copeland, obviously. Um, and that is through LLWR money. So it's essentially money for the local community to make sure the community benefits from LLWR being there. That's a low-level waste repository. Um, and what I love about that is it really keeps me in touch with what's happening on the ground in our community. Mm. So you hear about the people that are out there making a real change through various projects all the time. And you can contribute um, through what you're doing in there to the areas that really needed some support. Um, so I really enjoy working on the Copeland Community Fund. Again, a diverse team in there. So you've got public sector, you've got independence. Um, it, it, for me, you've got to have, while resource and things like that are very important, sometimes you've just got to have some money available for projects to deliver change. Sure. And the other one, which is the Cumbria Social Enterprise Partnership, um, that one helps me to connect social enterprises into my um, very strong contact base. So we, sometimes we, we work in little silos and I'm a big believer in getting people from different sectors into a room together to have a conversation. It's what we do at the cluster as well. And there's a huge amount of benefit to that, just connecting people up, connecting organisations up. Yeah. So I think with all my different hats, I get something different from each one and I can connect them all together, mm -hmm. which is really important for me. So when you come home then after a long day wearing whatever hat or perhaps all the hats, what would you find yourself doing on an evening or a weekend to sort of relax, unwind and get away from uh, the, the day to day? So um, at the weekends, I, I do the accounts for my husband's shop. So I still work on the weekends. That's my Saturday afternoon um, or Sunday morning, depending. I've ov obviously got the normal stuff that you have, like the washing and the ironing and all the rest of it. Love seeing the grandchildren um, and the children within that time. Um, when I get a minute to myself, I actually really enjoy reading. Um, 
and I'm often seen walking my dog. So um, my dog Chester is is just marvellous. He keeps me sane. So I walk for 40 minutes before I come to work in the morning, 40 minutes when I get home at night, and that just clears my head um, for the day. So, um, yes, walking the dog, reading, baking gingerbread. And as soon as I bake gingerbread, the whole family around. Of course, yes. <laughs> and I think I saw an article a few years ago in the White River News about having five generations of the Richardsons, or of your family at least, yeah. um, around. That's obviously an incredible thing to have achieved. How, how would that sort of make you feel when you when that was published? Yeah, uh, very proud. Yeah, it is. So it's actually my mum's side of the family. Um, so yeah we, we got five generations and then we got five female generations as well when my one granddaughter was born all the rest are grandsons um, but really it was it was pride but it was pleasure for my grandma because that was really important to her mm-hmm. family um, and connections and yeah and sort of dynasty almost yeah yeah um, and I mean she's 90 now wow. doing coming up 91 she won't like me for saying that um but she she's doing absolutely brilliantly lives in her own home still um and I keep saying as long as I've got her genes I'll be all right (laughs) brilliant so then moving on to a different hat that you wear but one that I sort of first met you through Diane is the Whitehaven Festival or the Maritime Festival that was clearly um a huge success over the years where did that idea all start from really so the the festival I can I can distinctly remember sitting in our living room in our previous home and my husband going I've got an idea and it was literally that he had an idea sitting there and he wanted to attract more tourism into Whitehaven Um, and he started planning this event and the first one we got 80,000 people which was unbelievable Um, the highest number we got was 300,000 wow over over the whole weekend over the weekend Um, and when you think of the size of Whitehaven that's absolutely tremendous and the opportunities the the experiences from that I think have really helped me in my career as well so um, just that trying to manage an event as you're running through the weekend so if you look at things like um, when the Red Devils came mm-hmm, and yep. one of their parachutes didn't open. Famously, yes, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, you had the newspapers then getting on the phone looking for quotes and things like that. Um, I did some videos with various celebrities when they were coming to do their celebrity pieces. So I think around the being able to speak more confidently publicly um, and also thinking about your messaging I think I got a lot from being involved in the festival and it was huge fun as well. So Sure. Well, we've spoke to a number of people on, on these podcasts and quite often they say that the key thing for them is stepping out of your comfort zone. I suppose between you and Jared setting up the festival, that really is stepping out of your comfort zone and ho- having a whole new series of challenges to work with. And as you say, PR issues, if you've, um, management of crowds, and you know, just the whole event planning is a huge thing. So that as a sort of string to your bow is, is a fantastic thing to have. And I'm sure it feeds into other aspects of your life even now. Yeah, absolutely. And the other important thing it did for my career was um, build up my contact base. So as you said, we met um, through the festival. The number of people that I met and had conversations with, who I still interact with in my career now, um, is, is really high. And I do think when you're, if you're looking at your career, your contact base is so important. Um and I also think if you look after other people, they'll look after you. Yeah, networking is key, and it's definitely about 
sort of people buy from people, don't they? And it's yeah. all about those strong connections, and uh, that will sort of serve you well. Yeah. So we've mentioned your husband then, and we've briefly mentioned the shop. So a quick question would be, as you're married to a wine merchant, what is your all-time favourite tipple? Oh, now then. Oh. It doesn't have to be wine. It can be across the whole spectrum. Do you seriously <laughs> think my marriage would survive if I picked anything other than a wine when I'm married to a wine merchant? <laughs> Am I allowed a red and a white? You are. So white will be the White Haven Sauvignon Blanc, which course, I yeah. adore. Um, New Zealand, Marlborough, oh, just amazing, zips off the tongue. And for red, I think I would have to go with the Ironstones in Fandel. Um, which he only manages to get in small quantities. So when he does, he's on a permanent thing that he has to bring me one bottle home. Right, so ones to definitely watch out for when we see them. Yeah. Um, did you have a childhood hero? And if so, are they still your hero? Or maybe aspira- uh, sorry, inspirational people that you had when you were younger, um, key quotes that sort of motivated you, just something that inspired you when you were younger? Do you know, in, in all honesty, I probably didn't have... So I think, I think probably until I brought my children up, I wasn't really looking at career or being inspired or any of the rest of it. If I had to pick out a childhood hero, I would probably say both my nana and my Mm mum. Strong female figures in the family who, who were the glue that held the family together, no matter what happened. Um, So yeah, I think I I would have to go with them. Fantastic, lovely to hear. And last question, which we always finish these podcasts with, is if you could go back to being, let's say, in your late teens or early 20s, your younger self, what's that one piece of advice that you would pass on to yourself now you're, now you're sort of more mature in your career? What, what, what have you learned that you want to tell yourself? I think you've probably had this before on other po- podcasts, but I think it's about being open to opportunities and grabbing them when they come up. So I think when I was younger, I was probably too timid to grab the opportunities that I could, um, which is fine because I, I love the life I have now and I am where I am. But there's absolutely something about having your brain open to seeing the opportunities and then grabbing them as they come up in whatever way, shape or form. So, you know, Jared saying, let's do a festival. And I went, all oh, right, oh, yeah, yeah, fa- fine. Um, Luke, when he had the idea of doing TEDx Whitehaven, um, went for that one, you know, absolutely love the, the I should have included that in what I um, do in my spare time. I love the TED Talks, yeah, so I watch no, a lot of them. I, I heard about the, the TED uh, X event you had, that was fantastic. Um, is that something which might be continuing or will there be a TEDx White Event 2? So Luke and I both said, so we did do two, we did two events um, and Luke and I both said if there was funding available from somewhere, we'd love to run another one but trying to find the funding for it difficult. can be quite difficult. difficult yeah, sure. um, But great fun to run, really, really enjoyable. Um, and I do, a lot of the lifelong learning I do is probably through the TED videos because there's always something new and there's always something that you'd be interested in. There really is, and I suppose that ties very nicely in with what you said for your younger self. It's about that confidence, stepping, you know, looking outwardly and finding those new opportunities rather than just sort of shying away and sort of sticking with with the norm, really sort of push yourself and that'll, in the end, you know, yield return, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much, Dan. That's been really useful to hear. Um, You're the first of our uh, BECBC directors that we've interviewed on the podcast, but I'm sure you won't be the the last. Um, So thank you for your time and yeah, all the best. Thank you for having me.